of the prodigal son. And um, we're going to look at uh, two prayers that he makes. And uh, we want to see the contrast between them and what God may have for us to teach us some things. And I hope it will be a help and a blessing to you. It's been a great day today. I thank the Lord for it. And we've seen some great answers to prayer. Good to see Miss Evelyn here tonight. And then Miss Linda Craig was able to be here this morning, uh, having had some surgery. (coughs) And other folks that have had answers to prayer this week, God's been sure good to us. And we thank him for that. And uh, certainly looking forward to the message tonight. Luke chapter number 15. And we'll begin reading in verse number 11. And he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth me, uh, to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land. And he began to be in want, and he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And boy, that's probably one of the saddest phrases. I wonder as he sat there uh, in those pig pens feeding those swine, how many people who uh, loved the Lord, walked by and saw him there and may have been concerned for him but certainly did not have compassion on him. And the Bible says in verse 16 that no man gave unto him. And <clears throat> when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and despair, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat, and be merry. For this my son was dead, and is alive again. He was lost, and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his elder son was in the field, And as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as thy, this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, and has killed, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry 
and be glad. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost <coughs> and is found. Father, we come to you once again. We ask that for the next few moments you'll guide and direct our hearts and our thoughts. Lord, some tremendous truth in this passage. I pray that it will be a help to us and encouragement to us. And then, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will work and do his work in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We find here that the prodigal son is, uh, is making uh, two different statements in this particular passage of Scripture. At the very beginning of the story, we find that he <coughs> prays or makes a prayer to his father. And the prayer is this. We find in verse number 12. The Bible says, And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them uh, his living. And so we find at the very beginning that the son is praying a prayer that we would consider to be a very selfish, a very egocentric prayer. It's one that is certainly a wicked prayer. It's something that uh, comes and stems as we read through the passage, uh, the implication of what this young man was tired of and what was appealing to him and uh, certainly he was tired of being under the authority of his father and the fact that his father had some rules and some restrictions for him i'm sure that he was tired of perhaps his father's uh, religious beliefs and the things that uh, he had given him as we read down through the story and learn a little bit more about his older brother and the character of his older brother uh, there's no doubt that he was probably uh, a brother who rode his younger brother pretty hard. <coughs> One that was always kind of arrogant and looked at himself as the better of the two. And so this younger brother, tired of uh, being under the authority of his father and under the, uh, reign, the, uh, the uh, influence of his brother, uh, gets to a point in his life and looking around and seeing uh, what the world had to offer. And by the way, doesn't Satan always do that to us? He causes us to think that the grass is greener on the other side. Doesn't he always, doesn't he always use that tactic? He, he, t- he tends to cause us to, have, uh, to look at the world. And even, even David was not immune to this. David at one point got to a place of frustration. He said, Lord, why do the heathen prosper? He said, I'm sitting here living for you, and yet it seems like those that are wicked and ungodly and not even following after the things that you uh, would want them to do, he said, why are they prospering? And there's no doubt that Satan puts thoughts into the hearts and the minds of those that are faithful to God. This young man is uh, being enticed, and there are some things that we see here from this story that were enticing him and I believe the first thing that we see here is the call of the world he began to look over it to the far country and to be see, be able to see the things that could be done over there perhaps it was uh, very glitzy and glamoury perhaps there were people over there that were uh, reveling in their sin and seemingly happy in their sin and by the way Satan always makes sin look good doesn't he have you ever seen a commercial on television for alcohol that Shows a man laying in a gutter. Oh, no, it's, it's, it's always appealing, isn't it? Back when they could have cigarette ads, I remember as a kid, they had cigarette ads sometimes on the television set before they outlawed it. But, you know, they always had a rugged fellow on there and somebody that looked manly, you know, and, this, and they appealed to the ego and they appealed to the flesh. Nowadays, with the Internet and all of the uh, things that come on uh, musically and artistically, that uh, get the minds of our young people all wrapped up in them. 
They make everything look appealing, don't they? Uh, the lights, the fame, the fortune, the paparazzi, the, the money. I'll never forget years ago uh, watching an interview of Daryl Strawberry, at one time perhaps one of the most talented baseball players. And uh, he had uh, gotten to a point in his life where he had actually attempted suicide. And they were interviewing him after some of those troubles and problems that he had. And I'll never forget watching the interview, and I can't give you the exact quote from him, but the gist of what he was saying, they said, why are you living this way? Why are you having such a difficult time? He was uh, living in a way that was very detrimental to his life. And uh, he said this, after being one of the most successful uh, men, and probably at that time I think the highest paid uh, Major League Baseball player, He looked at the guy that was interviewing him, and he said, I am the most miserable man in the world. And I never forget hearing him say that. And the idea that it didn't matter how much success he had, or how much money he had made, or how famous he was, it didn't bring the joy, it didn't bring the the satisfaction in life that he had thought that it would bring. I'm sure as a young man, he thought, boy, if I could just get to this level, I I would be happy. If I could just get there, I would be happy. And uh, how often does Satan cause us to think thoughts like that? Boy, if I could just do this, I'd be happy. If I could just get to this place, I'd be happy. This young man looks at the world, the call and the appeal, the enticement of the world. And it causes him (coughs) to make a prayer that we look at as a very foolish prayer at best. To come to his father and to say, Father, I want you to give to me what is owed to me. I want you to give to me that portion of your inheritance that you're going to give to me. I want you to give it to me now. He goes off, and the Bible says, into a far country. In verse number 13, not many days after the younger son gathered all together, took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. By the way, let me just say this. When he gets over to the world... Uh, he begins to have a lot of friends. The Bible says here in verse number 14, And when he had spent all, there arose a great famine in the land. And uh, so he is there living riotously. Uh, he's got a lot of folks, I'm sure, and, uh, that are uh, gathering around him. And have you noticed that many times when we succumb to the temptation of the world and begin to go that direction, there's always a group of people that are going to be there to slap you on the back, aren't they? They're going to congratulate you. They're going to bring you into their circle and say, Boy, it's about time you come over to our side. About time you start doing the things that... There are times that God puts something in our hearts. And He says, I want you to live a particular way. He gives us His Word. And He says, This is how I want you to live. He says, I don't want you to love the world. I don't want you to love the things that are in the world. In fact, if we love the world, the Bible says the love of the Father is not in us. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, they're not of the Father, (coughs) but they're of the world. And yet the world will entice us, and if they get us to go over to their side and begin to live what we consider to be in the area where the grass is greener, boy, they surround us, and as long as everything is going well, we have those fair-weather friends, don't we? They always seem to come around and enjoy the fact that we're living the way that they're wanting us to live and in our lifestyle is, uh, is fitting in with their mold of what they consider to be acceptable behavior. We live in a world today, and by the way, these are the folks that will cause uh, sin not to look as sinful. They begin to call sin by different names. They don't want to call it sin. 
they, these are the kind of folks that will come out and say, instead of uh, murder, we're going to call it abortion. Uh, these are the kind of folks that come out and they'll say, uh, instead of saying that uh, you're uh, shacking up or that you're living in sin or committing adultery, they, they say, oh, we're just cohabitating. Instead of calling it sodomy, we're calling it an alternate lifestyle. And these are the folks that take sin and they begin to make it look like it's really not all that sinful. And to a man who has struggled perhaps with the authority of his father, perhaps has struggled with the, the uh, restraints that perhaps the religious convictions of his family has put on him, this is a man who is seeking for his freedom. And as these folks say, hey, you know what, the sin is really not all that sinful. You know all that stuff they told you about sin? Oh, it's really not all that bad. Somebody said years ago that sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. It will cost you more than you want to pay. And we've got to be so careful because God, God has caused us to be, when we're Christians, God has caused us to have a desire to walk after the Spirit. To have something inside of us that wasn't there before that has a desire to walk the way we ought to walk and to live the way we ought to live. And yet Satan is trying to battle that. Satan is trying to entice us. He's trying to pressure us. He's trying to do everything that he can to cause us to say, no, the grass is greener on the other side. And this young man succumbed to it. He saw the call of the world. He saw the, the he experienced the congratulations of the world. I'm sure when he got there, he uh, had a lot of friends. He was riotously living, fair-weather friends, at least people who came around as long as the money was there. And uh, verse number 14, And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And all of a sudden, he begins to experience the cares of the world. All of a sudden, the world began to demand some things from him, didn't it? It starts off, oh, you know what? You can come over here and you can be free. You can have all the liberty and all the freedom you want until it comes time to pay. And then the cares of the world begin to settle in. When he had spent all of his means, the rent was still due, wasn't it? The electric bill was still there. The fact that he had to buy food was still there. And I'm sure, and I, I don't know, I wasn't in, in this uh, parable, I wasn't uh, experiencing this story firsthand, but I, I can just say this from experience and seeing similar situations play out in the day and age that we live, that many times when you uh, have the kind of money and the friends are all around you, and all of a sudden you run out of money, the first place you go is to your friends. Say, hey, I need a little bit of help here. But the friends are not there to help you. They were there to feast on you. They were there to take your wealth and your means. This young man didn't realize that the costs, the cares of this world were getting ready to weigh heavy upon him. And the Bible says that when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And God begins to bring him to a point where he is in need. And by the way, there are some times that people have to reach the very bottom before God gets their attention. This young man was no exception. He began to see the cares of the world and the cost of what he was living in. And all of a sudden, the Bible says, as we get down here in verse number 16, And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. Not only do we see the cares of the world, but we see the coldness of the world. 
Those that at this point do not care one thing about this young man. All of a sudden he's gone from living a life that seemed to be the life that he wanted to live to a place where the food that the pigs ate began to appeal to him. He began to look at that and say, that looks really pretty good. I'm hungry right now. And all of a sudden he begins to eat the same things that the pigs and the swine were eating. How often have we seen in our lifetime that Satan gets a foothold in a Christian's life? (coughs) Perhaps in a younger person. Perhaps the shining lights of the world and the appeal and the enticement of the world begins to draw them. And they feel like this is the life that I was meant to live. I'm tired of the restraints. I'm tired of the religion. I'm tired of uh, the rules and the do's and the don'ts. And I just want to go out and have great liberty. And they go off into the world carefree. They begin to waste their life away with riotous living until the cares begin to pile up. And they realize that the sin is beginning to cost them more than they wanted to pay. And the coldness of the world When they get to a point where they need help and they cry out and say, Oh, I need some help here. The coldness of the world as no man will give to their soul. They begin to look at the things that the pigs eat, the swine eat, and they say, Boy, that doesn't look all that bad right now. I'm going to eat that, I believe. Verse number 17, the Bible says, And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants... Of my fathers have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go unto my father, I go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. And now we see the second prayer. The first one was a prayer of him going away, the second one is a prayer of him coming home. No longer is he saying, Father, give me. Now he's saying, Father, make me. Father, make me. We find that there were two things that brought him to this point. He came to himself. All of a sudden, the appeals of the world, the temptations of the world were no longer important. His survival was important. The life that he missed so much back at home was important. And all of a sudden he came to himself. The Bible says here in verse number 17, And when he came to himself, when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's? And can I tell you this? That when he came to himself, he realized he needed to come to his father. There are times that God has to bring us to that point, doesn't he? There are times he's got to bring us to the point where we've got to come to ourselves. We've got to realize, man, I've messed up. And that's a hard thing for us to say, isn't it? I'll tell you, that's, the way we're made, that's one of the hardest things for us to do. To say, I was wrong, 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 wrong not right. <laughs> it's hard to do, isn't it? I was wrong. I have to come to myself. I have to realize I messed up. And when we get to that point, We say, there's only one place I can go now to fix this. I can go to my father. Now, we would sit here and read this story. And say, boy, what a foolish young man. I mean, he's he's abused his dad. He's taken advantage of him. 
He's rebelled against him. He has embarrassed his father with the way that he's lived. This father, if he's in his right mind and in his right senses, he ought to turn this boy away. And I know parents today that would do that with their children sometimes. Oh, but you don't know this young man's father. And aren't you glad there are sometimes people look at our lives and say no father in his right mind would ever have that person back into his family again. But they just don't know our father, do they? They just don't know him. The man came to himself, and he comes to his father, and now there's a contrite spirit. There's a spirit of humility. And no longer is he saying, give me arrogantly that, oh, Lord, Father, you owe me this. Father, I deserve this, and I want all that belongs to me. Now he comes and he says, Father, I have nothing to offer. I'm throwing you on your, myself on your mercy and on your grace, and I'm asking you to make me. To make me. One of the great secrets of the Christian life is when we get from the point of saying, Father, give me, to saying, Father, make me. Make me. Mold me into what you want me to be. And aren't you glad he's got a father like this? The father, the Bible says, verse twenty-one. He rose, or verse twenty, he rose and came to his father. But when he was yet a far, great, far, uh, great way off, his father saw him and noticed this and had what compassion on him. What was the one thing the world didn't have? Compassion. But this man's father did. Had compassion on him and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. And he doesn't even get to finish the statement. You remember the statement he rehearsed? Father, make me. He didn't even get that far. Can I tell you this? When we make a step to God, he doesn't even let us finish the step before he's running toward us. He comes to us, and the Bible says, And the father ran and said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat, and be merry. For this my son was dead, and is alive again. He was lost, and is found. And they began to be merry. They began to be merry. There were two prayers of the prodigal son. I think we can learn some things from them. We get from a point in our Christian life of saying to our Heavenly Father, Father, give me, to a point of humility, realizing that there's nothing that He owes us. And to say, Father, make me. <coughs> I am offering the only thing that I have, and that is myself. He doesn't have any substance anymore. He doesn't have any means to offer to his father. He doesn't have any wealth. He doesn't have any prosperity. He's ruined his name. He has no honor to give to his father. He simply comes and says, all I have is me. But I'll give it to you if you'll make me as one of the servants. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could be a church of folks who comes to the Lord and say, Lord, I don't want you to give me. I want you to make me. I don't have a lot to give you. All I have is myself. And we have a father that is much like this one in this parable. He comes running to us with open arms. 
He kills the fatted calf, puts the ring on the finger, and says, this my son was dead and is alive. He was lost and now he's found. Oh, we can learn a lot from this story of the prodigal son. What a joy it is to know that we have a heavenly father who while other fathers may say, not me, he says, oh yes, this is my son. This is my son. Let's stand together. Father, we're thankful for your word. Lord, what a blessing it is to our hearts and our lives as we learn some things from this young man. Lord, we learn certainly the danger and the progression, or we could call it the digression, I guess, of living the way the world would want us to live, the enticement, the acceptance that's given when we get there, but then the cost that eventually comes, and eventually the coldness that the world begins to express towards us. And Lord, there's an emptiness in that life. There's an emptiness in a life that follows after and seeks after the world. Lord, we'd have to be half blind to go around and not see that we can see this in the lives of people each and every day. Even those that name the name of Christ many times get caught up in a carnal lifestyle. Begin to live and follow after where the grass seems to be greener on the other side. Begin to live after a way that seems to be more fun and enticing more rewarding from a fleshly and human standpoint. And yet the truth of the matter is we're just simply wasting our substance with riotous living. Father, one day we'll get to ourselves, we'll come to ourselves, and we'll realize that the only real place we can turn is to you. Lord, I'd rather get there before I have to go through all that. I'd rather come to you before I get to the place of having the world turn me upside down and spit me back out to get my heart and my will yielded to you and to no longer say, Father, give me, but Father, make me. Cause me to be what you would want me to be. Lord, may it not take in the lives of our church and those that are here tonight, may it not take a life of riotous living in the cost of sin, the scars that will always be born. But may there be a, a sensitivity in our hearts tonight before we ever have to go through something like that to say, Lord... I just want you to make me. I want you to use me. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be all that you'd want us to be. And I don't know in the invitation tonight if you've spoken with hearts of anyone in such a way that they need to respond, but Lord, we're going to give opportunity. If you've spoken to someone's heart tonight, Lord, it's not been a real detailed message. It's not been a lengthy message, but Lord, a tremendous truth. And I pray that you'd help us to keep it in our hearts and our minds. Allow your Holy Spirit to have his will and way over the next few moments, we pray in Jesus' name.